Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to the 13th episode of Tudoriferous, the fortnightly biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, Sir Richard Empson. Mm-hmm. Another new man that we will hate by the end. <laughs> I thought we were being all revisionists these days. You're going to be a little woolly lambkin this time. <laughs> no, I, I admit I will be very glad that I never have to talk about this person again, just like Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's hope the recording goes all right then. We don't yes. have to redo it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's my heart sink. <laughs> no. Okay, but first. But first, we've got a few parochial announcements. Difficult to say. Oh, I've really felt very cruel because Rob's just doing the um, Dudley song at the moment. And I put the word extra extra judicial in it <laughs> which he didn't have any trouble with at all i don't what? know why we can't say it <laughs> that's not fair everybody should stumble on it yeah um patreon yeah we would t- patreon yes we're, t- we're toying with the idea of starting up a patreon feed do you call it mm-hmm. um, the new year yes so we'd like so to know if people are interested in what they would like to hear from us or get from us for Patreon episodes. Mm. At the moment, we're thinking about doing episodes on people who lived at the same time as our, our time period, but have nothing to do with England. So, so far, we have an artist. Cosimo de' Medici, Copernicus, Lucretia Borgia, Ivan the Terrible, Rodolf II, Mercator Machiavelli, Mary of Guise, Caravaggio, Magellan, Martin Luther, Hernandez Cortes, uh, Galileo, Margaret of Austria, Savonarola, uh, Columbus, Michelangelo, Cervantes, Kepler, Louis Cranach the Elder, Vasco da Gama, Grace O'Malley, uh, Catherine de' Medici, Montezuma, Giambattista Basile, Cesare Borgia, Joan of Arc, Heim- oh, the awful Heinrich Kramer, Leonardo da Vinci, The Devil, Montaigne, Dura, Paracelsus, Quatemoc, René Degas, <laughs> Claudio Monteverdi, Francisco Pizarro, Verbele, Amerigo Vespucci, Bruegel, Nostradamus, Atahualpa, and many, 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 many more. If you suggest them, so if you like the sound <laughs> of any of those... <laughs> And if you have any ideas of people who are less Eurocentric, because I we threw in a couple of um, South American ones there, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there must be some fascinating people in China and yes, Africa, all sorts of places that yeah, we'd like to we'd like to take in as well. We don't want to be. I mean, we're already being Anglo-centric. We don't want to be Eurocentric yes. as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, if that interests anybody, please let us know. And then we might start a Patreon in the beginning of the new year. Yes, please. Because we'd quite like to be able to get some money back for all the books we're buying. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Especially since it costs so much money. <laughs> you get into this and I think there should be like a list of this is what everything costs you <laughs> before you start. Because you yes, think, oh, it's just it's... the microphone and the program. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> When one book costs one hundred and forty-six dollars, and you're like, oh, for a single episode, ouch! <laughs> <laughs> and your husband goes, "What did you do?" <laughs> Managed to dredge out three episodes from that book. Yes, we did. There. Yes, we did. Yeah. Oh, and another one to come. Mm-hmm. 
Mr. Hussey. Possibly two more. Oh, right. Yes, after reading, we might need to add somebody else, but we'll talk about that mm-hmm. later. Anything else we need to talk before we do the dreaded quiz? We don't need to, but I did come across a lovely bit of information to do with our era. Mm-hmm. Clam. Ming the Clam. What? He's a Quagog. His name was Ming the Clam, and he died in 2006. But he was born in 1500. Really? He lived at the time of Henry VII. You can count the rings, and there were a lot of them. Wow. <laughs> yes. And that's a clam? That's a clam. Oh, I knew turtles and elephants. Well, no, turtles and parrots could live that long, but I didn't know clams lived that long. Yeah, I don't think turtles and parrots live quite quite that long. I don't know. They have a turtle in Australia that was brought over by Darwin. Hmm. Yeah, but that's Darwin. That's not... Yeah, I mean, that's, we're going back quite a long yeah. way. But, uh, same as same again after that. Yes. Anyway, I, I spotted, I can't remember where I saw that, and I just thought. That's really cool. Oh. <laughs> Quiz. Right. Right. Are you ready no. for the quiz? <laughs> <laughs> well, tough. Here it comes. <sighs> okay. Okay. I suck Number at one. These. <laughs> <laughs> these are easy. Yeah, you've said that before. <laughs> well, I think they're easy because I spent spent a month reading about him. Why was Rodrigo Borgia's uncle, Pope Calixtus, not very popular with the Romans? Because he was a Spaniard. He was Spanish, yes. Lovely bigotry right at the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Who criticised Rome for its concern with luxury and its spending on art? Lots of people. Um, <laughs> the actual name of the person, I, I cannot remember. I just read it out, actually, because he's, he's on our Patreon list. But you read that so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm coming up with Castellesi, but I don't. that wasn't him. It was... I don't know. Savonarola. Narola, right. Savonarola. Number three, who, this is an easier one, who invited the French in to support his war efforts? Money in Naples. (laughs) (laughs) He was pretty much the whole reason this whole thing kicked off, because he panicked and called called in the French. I remember, and then he decided that they wouldn't stop at Naples, they would go on to the next place, so then he'd switch sides. Which is, the next place was, and then you get the answer. I don't remember. Famous for fashion. Milan. So it is... Somebody in Milan. Of, <laughs> you, I know you know this one. Ludovica Sforza. Sforza. <laughs> Darn it. Oh, I suck at these quizzes. <laughs> Number four. What could you have seen in Rome, Paris, and Nuremberg? Are we talking there about should be only, Cabot? There should be only one of them. Of oh, the True Cross? I don't Close. know. Any kind of... <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> None of these have to do with Alexander. Didn't we say we were going to specifically do Oh, Alexander? that's true. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. As I said, I had forgotten to write these questions. I did them rather quickly just before. The... <laughs> it was the lance that pierced Christ's body. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Are any um, of the questions about Alexander himself? <laughs> Uh, the next one is sort of. <laughs> Why was there a scandal about the model chosen for, for the Virgin Mary in one of the frescoes and the Borgia apartments? Because it was his mistress. It was his mistress. <laughs> yes, that's about him. See, I know that one. <laughs> it's more about him. <laughs> oh, well, there's two, two. I'll give you half from a lamb, so two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you would ask me something like, what did he shout when he won the papacy? <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. Now, had I, had I given myself more time to think of the questions <laughs> rather than thinking, oh, God, it's the quiz. <laughs> yeah, they might have been a bit more. <sighs> I'm glad nobody's keeping a score. <laughs> Please, nobody keep a score. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, okay. on to an episode. And I'm going to ask you questions next time that have nothing to do with imps. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <sighs> enough quizzing already. Let's get on with it. We'll move on to the episode now. Well, being able to do an episode on Dudley without much mention of Empson, it's a lot harder to do the same in reverse just because I'm using this episode to close the loops on both episodes. I left some things open-ended in Dudley's episode. So, yeah, we will be hearing a bit more about Dudley, even though I never wanted to speak about him again. Okay. He's interesting. He's horrible, but he's interesting. <laughs> True. True. Come with me, if you will. As a young child, you play with the other children in the streets of your town. You are currently winning at hoops, as you are able to spin yours along the street faster than even some of the larger boys. Your father has gone to a trial today, and you're glad of the freedom to play for a little longer than you usually get to, as he's not there to supervise your chores. A strange sound stops all of the children from playing, and they stare down the street. You grab your hoop before it falls over and look around confused. It's a rumble. Almost like thunder, but quieter. And then you see it. At the end of the street, you see horses. A great deal of horses. More than you've ever seen before. They're draped in the king's colors. Armed men are with the host. You and the rest of the children scramble to get out of the way before you run down. This group will not stop. You have never seen so many men at one time. This is a little town. They march past, grim-faced. Oh no. They're heading to the courthouse. Your father is there. You run ahead, hoping to warn him of their arrival. But people are streaming out of the courthouse to see the commotion. One of the retainers of the armed group steps forward and proclaims the name of his master loudly for all to hear. Richard Empson, King's Counselor, has arrived. Ooh, uh. mm -hmm. Empson, born in 1450, is one of the oldest to become a new man. Empson's father was not part of the nobility or the peerage. Bluntly put, Empson was very common. His father was wealthy enough to be a minor landholder, but could only help his son by paying for Empson's legal education. That was it. From all accounts, prior to Empson joining Henry's court, he was a very successful lawyer. His education quite literally paid dividends for the family when Empson gained employment through Richard III. 
as Attorney General to the Duchy of Lancaster in 1478. Mm-hmm. Though at the time, it must have been heart-wrenching for Empson, but his luck actually took a turn for the better when Richard fired him from the position. <laughs> Few of Richard's appointments managed to keep their positions after Bosworth. But because Empson was fired, he didn't keep the stain of that association. Do we know why he was fired? No, we do not. The records... Is it a common trait? I mean, is he one of these people who seems to get fired from everything? No, Mm. no. So I think it was just that Richard wanted to replace him with somebody else who was Mm. better connected. Because I didn't find anything stating he wasn't doing his job well. But it is mentioned that he was fired. So it is possible that he wasn't doing his job very well. He did rise much slower than any of the other new men. And it could have been his associations with the Yorkists that inhibited him. I was just wondering, I was just thinking about him not doing his job very well. He's lucky he wasn't a bit later and had to come to face Dudley. And explain mm-hmm. that he wasn't doing his job very well and have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, that would be evil. <laughs> but in a way, this guy would have deserved it. <laughs> Empson was trained at Middle Temple. This is a different inn from Dudley. And this inn was where Bray's older colleague, Sir John Morden, studied. It might be this association that could be Empson's introduction to Bray, which would lead him to the court. But we don't actually have... I don't know the flow of where that went or how he got to the court. Just like Dudley, Empson was exhausting to research. I honestly don't know how people did it. They either didn't sleep or never had social time. They just never stopped moving, ever. He, unlike Dudley, was engaging and charismatic. One note that comes through history is that he maketh friends easily, referring to his easy likability. He was notable outside the court. Well, Dudley even... must have been, because we were speculating as to how he got such high-born wives, weren't we? And thinking, well, yes. There must, there must have been something about him. So... Yeah, I think he blackmailed people. <laughs> oh. There's nothing anywhere <laughs> saying Dudley was a nice person or easy to get along with, or even that he had friends. And the fact that it was notable that it comes through history that this guy was charismatic, I think is sort of a... This one's one way and this one's the other way when they specifically talk about these two. Right. But other people outside of the court knew about him. And Jung might come across this quote as you're researching Perkin Warbeck because he notes that Empson was one of the king's low-born and evil counsellors. Perkin Warbeck says that. Perkin Warbeck says that. I haven't got that yet, but... We know that, as you were speaking about the marriage, we know that Emson married a woman named Jane, but nothing is known of her last name or her family. So I think this isn't a marriage of rank. Otherwise, we would have known that she was the daughter of an earl or whatever. We know that they had... I suppose it'd be even less likely for him to marry up, wouldn't it? Because he's got nothing, has he? At least Dudley had some vague... Um, yeah, no familial associations like at least Dudley did. He was the second son of a second son. He well, was related in some way. Empson has nothing like that. We know that they had at least six children, and we know that six of his children made it to adulthood. There is no mention of other children. We don't really have a record of Empson before he hits the court, and then all of a sudden everything gets expanded on. Empson was perhaps a dozen or so years older than Dudley. Again, we are making an assumption about his birth date. It wasn't recorded. 
He gained his position in court due to the death of Bray, Henry VII's master of all things at court, if you remember. Yeah, we haven't done him yet, have we? But, uh... No, but we will. He is on the list, so sooner or later somebody's going to pull his name. <laughs> Emson had recognized Bray's influence on Henry and the trust the king had in him, so Emson attached himself to Bray to come to Henry's attention. I felt like this was a leech. <laughs> <laughs> he slowly collected local positions to gain income and worked his way up through the hierarchy of the same duchy he was originally fired from. So Henry reappointed Empson to the Attorney Generalship of Lancaster. That sounds like it's a high position, but it isn't. It's more of an entry position into the court. This is where Empson would eventually ultimately achieve chancellorship, so he was able to f- go upwards. So, but this is, this is the same job he was doing under, under Richard? The Attorney Generalship, yes, oh. because he's a lawyer, so it fit in with what his training was. So presumably he wasn't, well, either either the information wasn't passed on to Henry or he wasn't sacked for incompetence because you wouldn't... You wouldn't rehire somebody that had already been fired. Yeah. Yeah. I I wish we had more information, but we don't. Mm -hmm. Along the way, he was able, through the income of various positions he held and extortion, to collect land as well as money. Nice. While reading his purchases and his dealings, I kept getting the vision of Gollum saying, my precious. <laughs> <laughs> it really came across that way. All I see is somebody grabbing everything. He was Knight of the Shire for Northamptonshire, Speaker of the Commons in 1491 to 1492, JP, or Justice of the Peace of Northamptonshire as he literally worked his way up the rungs. Empson became prominent in fafis, parcels of lands that were confiscated by the crown were handed out to certain councillors that they would then pay a lease for, and Empson really benefited greatly from this arrangement. He ended up in the records showing that he had more of the fafis than most other people, but we don't know why he was given that much. I think it was because of how much money he could pull out of these lands. Right. Empson did not, like the other new men, become a tax assessor collector for the same area that he was Knight of the Shire or Chancellor in. You remember in Dudley's episode and Pointings, they were basically given complete control of a county? Yeah, I remember Sussex copped it that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Empson mm. does not appear to have the same kind of trust with Henry, for Henry to be able to give him that single control over a single county. He was a tax assessor and collector over Northamptonshire and Buckinghamshire, but not Lancaster. Nor did he retain these areas year after year like the other new men. He was more moved around and taken off of it several times. So are they employed annually? or? Yes, yeah. But he was not. I'm not sure why, but it all came down to the feeling that nobody trusted this man at all. Not even Henry. Not even Henry. Mm. No. Bray had constrained himself to the accepted forms of bribery, which they called lobbying. We still call lobbying today, but I don't know if it includes bribes. I I wouldn't put it past them. (laughs) We're going through quite a sleeve 
fleas fest at the moment with our government. Ooh. And, and uh, yeah, all sorts of things is com- are coming out. So, yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Okay, good to know. I don't doubt mm. that it does include bribes in some way. Bray also stayed true to the you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Empson and Dudley threw this right out the window. You scratch my back or I'll stab yours was more along the lines that they went with. It was just brutal. Empson and Dudley would receive lands, bribes, and sinecures, which I had to look up. A sinecure is a position, usually with a form of prestige with it, that you were paid a wage with little or no effort required for that work. Yep, we're hearing a little bit about that at the moment as well. Oh no. (laughs) We're living in Tudor times. Oh, lovely. (laughs) Well, they'd get this just to approach the king for someone on a matter with no guarantees of success. And they took that money or position, the sinecure, while taking the same for the other person in a court case or a petition to the king. So they were getting it from both sides to present the same thing to the king because they don't have to prove that they're going to get it. And presumably each side has no idea that the other side is uh, getting the same treatment. Otherwise, there's no point. You would think eventually they'd figure it out. But yes. Mm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Empson was perhaps the worst of the new men. (laughs) While others would constrain themselves to the proper forms of monetary advancement and bribes, Empson used his perceived real power to the advantage of his avarice for himself and his family, not the crown. So if you remember, Dudley would get bribes, but he didn't actually say, I want everything for me. So why was Henry employing this this man? Because he made so much money compared to the others for the crown. He did, but actually, you know, some of it went to the crown, presumably. Yes. A few examples of him doing this for himself. One of the most famous is Empson versus Plumpton in the courts. Empson decided he wanted the lands and inheritance of Sir Robert Plumpton for his own daughter. Daughter had married a man who was related to Sir Robert Plumpton's father as an inheritor, not relation as in a family, but he was mentioned in his will. And Empson took that to mean, well, then he was, he had the right of inheriting the whole thing. He's mentioned, he's mentioned, he's, I mean, you could just be given, you know, some sort of trinket and... yes. Empson then employed constant and long-lasting, and the only word for it is campaign, to do this. And it was by no means thought to be honorable or legitimate in his actions. In fact, Plumpton's relatives claim that it was, and I quote, utter and malicious enmity and false craft to obtain this inheritance. And at first you could say, hey, wait a second, that's a family member saying that. But other non-related accounts, people who had nothing to do with this, called it a perversion of justice. Multiple people called mm. it a perversion. Well, it does sound like it. Mm. Yeah. Is there, any, is there any basis in law at all to this? <sighs> sort of, but not really. His claim is that as a third or second cousin that he was still related and might have gotten it. if. Sir Robert Plumpton basically was dead, but he wasn't. Yeah, but as we know from when Richard, the, Richard uh, um, Gloucester and 
and George, Duke of Clarence, they went after right. their wives, their mother-in-law, didn't, didn't they? And she was proclaimed effectively dead, financially dead, legally yep. dead. But she wasn't dead at all. No, she wasn't dead. <laughs> yeah. No. Same so, sort of thing. Yeah. Every single mention of this definitely gave me the strong impression that Emson's actions were at least suspect, if not out and out illegal. Do you think part of the part of the problem with this is it's the same sort of thing that the nobility have been doing forever. for generations, and, but now it's come down down the, the classes a bit to, yes. the, to the lawyer stage. Yes, so it seems more shocking, but the modus operandi sounds quite similar. Mm-hmm. It really did. And I think part of it was just the fact that he was common and he was going after somebody who had a title mm. or was descended from somebody with a title. He was a knight, Sir Robert Pumpin. Empson wasn't at this point. All of the examples of Dudley going after anyone were impartial in that his only benefit would be the bribes that he would claim. That's how he gained his wealth, either through out and out money from the king or the bribes. Emson is going after lands and money of others for personal gain or the gain of his children. In this case, it was for his his daughter, with no mention of money going to the crown. So this is somebody who's using these mafia-like actions for his own personal gain separate from his job. During the Plumpton suit... We see just how much of a showman Empson was. He arrived with 200 servants, armed men. They were not wearing his badge or colors because he didn't have one. They were wearing the king's badge and colors. This is that host that, that I said in the come with me portion. Yes. I'm just wondering why why he's still employed. Because he's employed <laughs> indirectly by Henry, presumably. Yes. But not in this case. But I can I can understand him employing Dudley because Dudley was raking it in for the crown. Mm-hmm. I mean that was his job effectively. But this bloke just seems to be a completely loose cannon. So far, I'm I'm definitely putting across the everything that was mentioned everywhere about just how vicious this man was for his own personal gain. Everybody focused for some reason on Dudley. All of the records that I read were Dudley first, Empson second, and I can't figure out why, because Empson looks like the worst of the two. Maybe it was just a matter of fame, notoriety. Maybe Dudley was just, people knew about him more. Or I just thought of the fact that Robert Dudley remains prominent. None of Empson's future generations do. Mm. So perhaps... Just the fact that people kept referring back to Dudley being a traitor, being coming from traitors. I'm not sure, but in my opinion, Empson was the nasty one. Yeah, the, the name Dudley carries on, doesn't it, for quite yes. some time. But, yes. Uh, I don't think, I can't think of another Empson. Yeah. Hmm. So you can imagine he's now going to a trial in the county where this should be heard because the land is there. The inheritance is in that county. And Empson shows up with over 200 people, yeoman of the guard. So he brought the king's yeoman of the guard the, with him. I don't know how. That's the king's bodyguard. Yes. Hmm. Okay. And guardsmen on top of that. How could a jury 
in the face of this obvious power play, say, no, you can't have the land. Of course, Plumpton lost. So he lost his inheritance to a second or third cousin who was mentioned in the will as somebody who inherited something. And remember how we mentioned that people could pay to have favorable people appointed to a jury to hear these types of cases? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Empson was so corrupt that Plumpton's lawyer advised against attempting this because those men would be assumed to be his friends and then would become targets for Empson. Right, so it's actually too dangerous yes. to be on the jury. Yeah. yeah. Tudor justice, wonderful, where you <laughs> only don't bribe because people that you like could be harmed. <laughs> really. Plumpton did, however, quietly call on these friends after the trial, not to have them reverse the trial, but to request their aid in forgiving the debts the suit the lawsuit had put him in. He now owed Empson for all the money from his lands that he had used while he was the inheritor of it. Now, I remember you saying in Dudley's episode that the loser of the trial paid and also the winner of the trial paid, but I'm guessing it probably wasn't the case in this. Nope. He also owed all these friends that he was now asking forgiveness of these debts for the cost of the trial because <laughs> he had to pay for it. So he had to borrow mm. money to pay to lose his inheritance. Hmm, it's not good, is it? No. No. No, I was just... Uh, mm-hmm. That was the first portion of disgust for this person. A different example, and we don't know what made Empson target William Cornish, the king's chaplain, but he had his men beat up the chaplain and throw him into fleet prison for false news, a statutory offence, though no evidence was given, and he was never charged. Was he also a composer? He did end up writing poems and music, yes. Yes, he wrote the song that we put at the end of Edward Plantagenet's oh, really? um, episode, uh, Our Robin. Oh. It's used a lot in the, the television version of Wolf Hall. <laughs> okay, yes, it is the same that person. That was William Cornish. All right. Oh. And he's been beaten up and shoved in a prison. Yeah. And he wrote that beautiful, beautiful music. Yeah. Cornish claimed that he had been speaking out against the injustice of Emson's actions, so you can see that he actually was saying something. He did admit to that. And while he was in Fleet Prison, waiting forever, um, Cornish wrote a poem about the situation and managed to get it smuggled out of prison and into King Henry's hands. So this is how Henry found out about it. So, so he had no idea that Cornish was in prison, presumably. No. And this shows where Henry did not have much faith in Empson, because Empson was slapped with a $500 bond for his actions and a protection against the retaliation against Cornish. So Henry smacked him across the face, basically, and said, how dare you? But he didn't lose any of his positions at court. He was just too good at bringing in money. Is it just that, or has he actually got something on Henry? This is looking... You know what? I didn't even think of that. I slightly dodgy. Possibly. Mm. The incident didn't make a loud noise of, at court against Empson. It more seemed to make a loud noise as a warning to any that would try to speak out against the new men. Yeah, it's a classic thing, isn't it? That yeah. You, you, you create a situation of fear. Yeah. And therefore, nobody's going to, going to risk talking. Yes. It was after this that it was said of Empson, quote, 
He had such authority that the chief lords of England were glad to be in his favor. And that was in the Great Chronicle of London. Yeah, it's just so right. But Dudley last time, I just kept thinking of Stalin's court. And this just mm-hmm. seems, seems like it, doesn't it? With all his little acolytes running around desperately trying to make Stalin like them. Yes. Do, doing things they didn't want to do, like staying up watching cowboy films and drinking too much and things. <laughs> <laughs> all they wanted to do was go home and sleep. But uh, they could, they had to keep dancing. But as soon as they stopped dancing, yes. God knows what would happen to them. It sounds sounding very familiar. Yeah. That's exactly what this felt like. Me reading about it actually started making me feel anxious, some of the actions. So I kept it a little light because I didn't want to make our listeners anxious. 1504, so we're quite a bit into Empson's, he's older. So if you remember, Dudley's in his 20s. Empson's in his 40s, I think, about now. Empson and Dudley start combining their duties and forces. And I literally, my husband's going to hate that because he hates that word being used. <laughs> literally mean forces. They used retainers, yeomen, and guards against people. They had developed quite a web of people to help them. And they began a system that would extract the most from the subjects that they could possibly take. October of that year, Henry made Richard Empson the keeper of the seals for the Duchy of Lancaster and was given the informal presidency of the Council Learned. If you remember, the Council Learned wasn't an official council. No, it was extra judicial. Take take a run up to that word. (laughs) (laughs) So this made Empson the holder of the seals that would essentially approve all decisions and charters for the Duchy of Lancaster. So this is If you remember, somebody makes a decision, it goes off to the keeper of the seals, the seal is put on it, and then it's approved. This gives him veto power. Only at this point is the chancellor of the the duchy above him in power. He's almost on par with Dudley in power in 1504. The first book we read in preparing this podcast was The Winter King by Thomas Penn. Mm. And I mentioned this before in the Dudley episode, but I think it's important to say it again. The result of their adaption of the Council Learned came a full flowering of a system which intended for efficient administration and swift justice was beginning to resemble something very different with its twisting and distorting of law and the exploitation of legal technicalities. The indiscriminate suspension of due process, and above all, the imposition of financial penalties in all shapes and sizes. Penn really paints a picture of just how menacing this is becoming in 1504. Mm, yeah, um, I remember being quite struck by yeah his descriptions of both of them, Dudley and Emerson. It just yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect really with Henry the Seventh. We both admit that we know nothing about him when we started. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, reading that book made me think this is. Yeah, it's going a bit grim. Um, yes. Dudley and Emson would single someone out for action. And then between them, they would create charges. In some cases, they would also create the evidence for that charge. Dudley would go after them for money by putting them in prison, and Emson would menace them and their family. I don't have an example of em- Emson going after the family physically, But there were several mentions of families not being safe from him during these procedures. So while Dudley goes after the actual person, 
Empson goes after anybody they care for. Presumably because the person in prison is not in a position to uh, to get the money, is he? So it's it's going to be mm-hmm. the family that's got to do it. Yeah. Right, okay. Well. And since Empson's modus operandi, or M.O., was in using force, I'm making the leap that that was part of his action. If we've already got example of him beating up a chaplain... <laughs> I can't imagine he'd he'd stop at beating up sons or or menacing the wife. Like it just comes across as he is the enforcer. Mm. He's the brutal person, or personally brutal. I guess would be the way to explain it. Because Dudley's putting them away from somewhere, whereas Empson is actually going after people physically. Well, they make a lovely team, don't they? Hmm. Empson rose slowly, but he did rise. I did not want to sit here and list out everything he ca- he ended up gathering for himself and his family. But I'll give you an example so that you can I- get an idea of what kind of things he was doing once he got the land. So his scheming allowed him to purchase a mansion in Northamptonshire. How do you pronounce Northamptonshire? Because you guys don't... No, we, with our um, place names, we tend to swallow most of it. So it's Northamptonshire. Just sure. Sure. <laughs> Okay. So he gets this manor. He was then able to get a license from Henry to enclose a park. Nice. Now, when I think of a park, I think of a small, maybe two or five acre parcel. You don't think of the 400 acres he decided to enclose as a park? And that's other people's, that's the land that other people have been using up to now, is it? Sort of common land. Yes, but it also included a village that he then destroyed, making all the inhabitants homeless without any monetary recompense. They got nothing. They just got kicked out. Where would you go as a villager? As a, I mean, it's not as if you've got another your second home to go not to. Not a clue. Yeah. Well, I should imagine it's, they join the um, gangs of vagabonds and other homeless people. And beggars, Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I know this happened because Horrible Histories mentions that the Georgians did it. Yeah. But for a commoner to do that to other commoners, it almost felt like an extra vicious thing to do. You have more of an idea of what kind of life they lead, and you're still going to kick them out. And then he went on to rebuild his manor into a large mansion. That was grand enough for Henry to stay there as a guest during a progress. Hmm. So he had enough wealth to be able to build something that was prestigious enough for Henry to stay at. It does seem like, why is Henry staying with a commoner? I mean, this doesn't, this doesn't hold... Yeah. Again, I oh. have no idea. He's, he's not a knight yet. He hasn't been made a knight. No, I mean... The people he'd normally stay with aren't like this, are they? (laughs) No. No, they're titled peerage. I just feel that there's something. He's got something. He must have something on Henry. Why is Henry putting (sighs) up with him? Why why has he not got rid of him? Because of the amount of money, and we Mm. will, I will explain that in a bit. But I started to feel that compassion was a sin. At the Tudor court. Right. Because it seemed like if you had compassion, you'd be run over by Empson. Because you couldn't defend against Empson. He would then go after you. 
there was nobody that you could appeal to because they were too afraid of what could happen to them. It's just a horribly depressing situation. It wasn't all roses and sunshine for Empson and Dudley in their relationship with each other. They did work together in their respective areas of control. I would imagine that Dudley would have a certain amount of contempt for Empson, wouldn't he? I mean, Dudley's not not the punk, probably. Yeah. Punching people in dark alleys type, is he? I mean, he was a. No. He took the legal route. No, and. Well, or the illegal route. Everybody kept putting them together in their explanation whenever they were talking about these evil men as if they were the same person, but they weren't. But they did work together. And this is where that comes out, where they say, okay, they were virtuosos or they were very good at working together to go after anybody. And a good example of this is the prison escapes we were talking about, how Dudley would just hold people forever until they Mm -hmm. would escape. And then he could charge both the prisoner and the warden for that escape. I found out that Empson had a hand in actually setting up the escapes. (laughs) It did seem odd that there seemed to be so many. (laughs) People people would just think, oh, I've had enough of this and just escape. (laughs) I thought it ought to be harder than that, surely. (laughs) No, it, it appeared that Empson would encourage certain people to encourage the prisoner to escape and lend a hand oh, in that God, escape. It's so tacky, isn't it? I mean, the whole situation. Yes, it really is. Yes. So I'm going to arrest you, mm-hmm. okay? And now I'm going to help you escape from the prison because you don't want to be there forever, right? And he's never going to call you. Well, presumably it was what... It's not Emma... Em- Empson, who's um, doing the arresting. So, if, if, so they've got Dudley no, does the Dudley's arresting. Doing the arresting. And Empson, Empson comes in as yeah. supposed good cop and says, "Yeah, to help them escape." He doesn't get oh. them off. What he says is, "He'll never call you out, so I'll, I'll help you get out." But he doesn't do it directly. It's his mm. lackeys, I guess, that are then finding somebody in the prison that they then bribe to start helping this person to escape just so they can collect the fees. I'm beginning to think now about Perkin Warbeck and Edward and their attempted escape. Yeah. Ooh, could that have been Empson? Yeah. Because there was somebody who we speculated was a stooge and then he tried to run away to Colchester, I think it was, but he came back, so... Could he be? Oh, I wonder if it was Empson. It makes sense. That's what he's doing. You have to look through the sources really sneakily to discover that this is what's going on. It's when you get repetitions of names and Empson is with that person, and yet that person is then spoken to this person, and then escapes happen. You're going. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the 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 man who helped Edward escape, but if we look it up, Chuck. Chance, chance, something like that. Um, oh, we we'll have to look into that. Hmm. Well, it's a good thing we're doing this before the Perkin Web- Warbeck episode. Yeah. Probably one of the things that I found even more vicious oh, is that <laughs> Emson didn't didn't restrict the scheme to magistrates. 
So most of the people that were wardens were magistrates. But he also went after his own colleagues in the council learned with this scheme. So Hussey, who we've mentioned in the Dudley's episode, and we're going to be doing an episode on him, he was a prison warden. And an escape was arranged that he was then hit with a hefty fine of 133 pounds, 13 shillings, and 4 pence for an escape, arranged by Empson. This is somebody he works with on a regular basis on the council. And Hussey presumably would, would know that, would know about yeah. what Empson is up to. Yeah. Hmm, that would make for awkward council meetings. Except I don't, I don't think... a way to maintain friends. I don't think Empson would care, would he? No. I don't think so either. I wondered if Dudley was okay with this, but he was the one collecting the fine and issuing the fine. Mm. Yeah, but I got the I get the impression that Dudley's the one that pretends to have clean hands because he's got Empson to to dirty dirty his hands, yes. so he can he can stay above the quagmire because he knows that Empson will do he, anything. Yeah. I don't like either of them. No. Not much. <laughs> I'm so sorry people are listening to this. But it is a good I They're the perfect people to talk about so you can feel what it actually felt like to be in that Tudor era. Because mm. I don't think, I think we, this is a part of Tudor, Tudor life that very few people know about. You certainly yeah. didn't to start with, but. Neither did I, and now I'm feeling really horrible. You wonder why everybody was so angry and they liked watching executions and stuff. But if you're <laughs> if you're under this regime, maybe it's uh, cathartic. <laughs> yes, well, no wonder, wonder people were writing ballads. <laughs> how horrific it is. Yeah, well, how pleased they were that he, he died. He died mm-hmm. horribly. Yeah. Empson also had his hand in the wardships, though not to the extent of Dudley. He seems to be more of someone used to collect the payments rather than being involved in the wardship arrangements. So he was a sort of bailiff, really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Dudley would go out and find the children that they wanted to sell, and Empson would collect the payments. I know, isn't that horrible to say? Mm. <laughs> Empson, like the others in the Council Learned, did not respect the church's autonomy. In one example, he attempted to make the Chancellor of the Norwich Diocese Norwich. pay th- Norwich. Norwich, yep. Norwich, mm-hmm. okay. The Norwich Diocese pay 333 pounds, six shillings and eight pence to the king for an offense under Premunire statute. And I had to look this up. This is a law that prohibits the assertion or maintenance of papal jurisdiction or claim of supremacy in England, so against the supremacy of the monarch. You remember that in the Alexander episode, Alexander wanted somebody to be a bishop, and Elizabeth had chosen Mm. the bishop already. England was very adamant that they kept control over church and ecclesiastical positions. Empson is going against a bishop who made a decision on a position without talking to the crown first. And that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's nothing. Um, I know, having been reading up about Perkin Warbeck now, that quite a lot of the, his supporters were clergy because they weren't happy with the way the clergy were being treated. And there was this, and there's also the that they were being sent to lay 
courts into church courts. Yes. And yeah, it was, it was they were harbouring a lot of resentment about it. And we were quite happy to go over to, to Flanders to tell. Yeah. Tell Margaret well, you can see why. Yeah. I mean, yeah, essentially, they're. I, yeah. Right now, they're attempting to wrest control from the Pope for decisions within England and then charging churchmen for asserting papal control that had always been there. So for certain things, the Pope was able to make decisions over, or at least had to be consulted by the king. And Emson decided not to do that. Emson lost this round. The Chancellor was able to claw it back and say, no, this has been the case for centuries. This particular position has always been chosen by the Pope. And he won. But he was brave enough to speak out as well. Presumably, yeah. he, presumably he was too high up for Emson to think about. Protected by something yeah. or someone in order for him to be able to do that. Mm. Emson would also be pivotal in searching out for concealed lands, including the church's lands. So then I had this picture of a bishop with land, hiding land behind mm -hmm. a giant couch. <laughs> but what this is Ugly referring is to... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, this is referring to land that wasn't claimed when tax assessors arrived. A lot of people in this era would give land to the church when they died for those perpetual prayers to be said for them. This is stuff that people did not get crown's approval to give the land to the church prior to giving it to them. So the crown doesn't know it's been given to the church. And the church isn't telling the crown so they don't have to pay taxes on it. And Empson was ferreting that out. Right. So again, going after the church. Mm. Not a nice person. So I was just thinking it's extraordinary how much the crown are involved in everybody, every, yes. people's everyday lives, their legal and financial lives. Yeah. Mm. yeah, the fact that he's getting their fingers into everything... It, it felt like an octopus or something. But that's beforehand, isn't it? That's, that's even before Empson and Dudley yeah. have um, gotten yeah. in its and they just made it worse. So I suppose that's what created the framework that they were able to work yeah. in, that, you know, that, that all the links mm -hmm. are there. They just had to uh, you know, follow these links in different different way, reinterpret yeah. the law. Because oh. you don't really think about that in, in, looking that far back, that it was so centralised. And how, if you didn't know how inexhaustible these men were, you'd wonder how they got it done. Actually, I still wonder how they got it done. Because they were into everything. Mm. 1506, this is now 21 years into Henry VII's reign. Finally... Henry is impressed by Empson's indefatigable efforts in extracting money for the crown, and he made him Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. I did not find anywhere that Henry removed his position of Keeper of the Seals, which means there is no check on any of his decisions. The only person who can do right. anything to stop him is the king. That's it. This is getting more and more suspicious, isn't it? I mean, the... F yeah. Empson immediately rewarded the king by disallowing an expense payment for the duchy that had been allowed since 1422. So it's been something they've been allowed to claim against their expenses against the crown 
since 1422. And now Hansen says, nope, that's not allowed. You have to pay for it yourself. <laughs> the king was able to save money through this type of cutting expenditures. And I mean a lot of money. And Emson, the only way you can say it is plundered that duchy. He increased investigations of its citizens. Random all of a sudden, you're now under trial for something. He removed officers that he felt were ineffective, and that's all he had to claim. A term mm -hmm. just obscure enough to make it mean whatever he wanted. And then he got the ability to sell those positions to new people. Again, getting more money for the crown. Yeah, I expect there was suddenly an awful lot of ineffective people, weren't there? Oh, yes. Who'd been working happily for years and years, effectively. <laughs> and all of a sudden, no, you're not doing your job right. He increased rents for everybody, which the crown then took a cut of. What, Fisheries? across the board? It appears to be across the board. I didn't get too much, but uh, since it was so general, it felt like everything. And it was almost like he was charging an income tax against landlords. Is kind of what it came across like. Hmm. I'm not sure how it worked. No, I can't work out how that would work either. Hmm. Fisheries, woodlands, wardships, and fioriaries, or fuffies, all increased profits. So, everything. Yep. Basically, he was getting money. Fines for liveries were exacted. The only term I feel really represents what he was doing is pillage. Pillage and plunder. He took so much that this one county ended up creating a quarter of the crown's income for the year. And that's, what was that, Northampton? That's Lancaster. Oh, Lancaster. All right. Well, lucky them. <laughs> I know. These poor people. <laughs> He was able to secure more money for the crown than the rest of the council. That's, I think, why he kept where he was. I mean, I don't know how many counties there are. I really should have looked that up. But to be able to make a quarter from one county? That's crazy. That that's insane. Crazy. Yeah. I've been thinking about Henry's mental health. Because I've been reading about Perkinwood Beck and how he comes across actually as being quite a human person because he panics. <laughs> In a way that you think normal people should do. When when he hears about Perkin Warbeck, he gets he calls it his express mind because his mind just keeps going, homing homing back in on this one thing. Right, he can't he can't um yeah, he can't get away from it. And you can imagine him having sleepless nights about about you know, everything everything suddenly whooshing away. Yeah, and he's lost his wife. He's lost his son. Yes, he's lost good old Jasper. Mm -hmm. I think I get the impression that he is in a blind state of panic and money is the one secure thing that he can he can understand. You've got Perkin Warbeck, you've got um, Dilla Pole, mm -hmm. you've got people coming at him from all sides and he just thinks, I need some security mm -hmm. and security is money. Yeah. So I wonder if he shuts his eyes to all these things just because... I'm beginning to wonder about his mental health by this point. I'm not sure if he's shutting his eyes, but we'll, I will explain that in a bit. Right, okay. Perhaps because of Empson's ability to bring in this much money for the crown, this is when Empson is knighted mm -hmm. in 1504. 
He was knighted along with others at Prince Henry's creation as the Duke of York. We don't know 100% why he was chosen, but that's my speculation. It was because of the money, because it was the same year that this happened. He was also appointed to the new Duke's council. I wouldn't want him near my son. (laughs) (laughs) The main difference between Dudley and Empson in generating wealth seems to be the method. Dudley would target specific people and hold them until they paid. Empson would use the already existing legal framework to extract more money from property rights. Empson spent a great deal more time in legal courts, while Dudley would just put people in prison with no legal recourse and leave them there until they agreed to pay. So it's a very different approach, legally. Hmm. In regards to the woodlands... Yeah, that, that, Dudley's is straight up illegal, isn't it? Yes. But I'm surprised. I would have thought it'd be the other way around, that Empson has this sort of I know. patterner of legality. Yeah, it almost felt like it was contradicting itself. But Empson yeah. spent a great deal more time in court than Dudley did. And by court, I mean trials. Yeah. In regards to the woodlands, so you remember that Dudley became basically the master of the forests? Mm. Empson went against Dudley. He pulled the forests in Lancaster out of Dudley's jurisdiction. And he could do that because he was chancellor and privy seal and yeah. everything else. Right? Yes. Okay. Empson appears to have been willing to undermine even his closest colleagues, because you think about it, he and Dudley are supposed to be working together, and he just removed that out of Dudley's hands. And you may remember also from the Poynings episode that Poynings managed to scupper Empson's attempts to have Lancaster absorb Pevensey into his realm of control. So these are just two examples of him going against his friends and colleagues in the Council Learned. He didn't care about anybody. All, and both of these were just attempts to expand his own power. They weren't necessarily for wealth. If you remember our discussion of Dudley, Dudley's main focus was the customs and trade and the presidency of the King's Council. Empson's focus was specifically the Council Learned. He didn't get involved in the King's Council. Not much. But he had an implied presidency of the Council Learned, and he pushed to make it larger and more organized as soon as he had that legitimacy, I guess you could say. And it enabled him to go after more people and more types of people. They needed... Making making it larger, does that mean filling it with Empson's men? Yes. Right. Yes men, really. Yes. Right. And the council was no longer only going to look at those that had done wrong and been brought to a judicial trial and pulled out. They were now going to create the charges themselves. That didn't happen until Dudley and Empson started doing it, and it feels like it's more Empson pushing this. Dudley's creating the charges by reading the law creatively, but it feel from what I've been reading, it feels like Empson's the pusher. Is that when they start looking at the things you might do yes. in the future? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. This is where Empson comes in more with this. Under his guidance, they would no longer consider if the informers were honest or reliable when they brought information to the council learned. They would no longer... Ah, because I know that was, that was something that Henry did, apparently, that he did... Investigate. He wouldn't believe 
he wouldn't believe rumours mm-hmm. until he'd investigated not only were they true, but what the motivation was for the person. Yeah. Under Empson's control, on. they didn't investigate the claims anymore. Okay. And I call them informers because anyone could inform on another person. And in some cases, the informers were poor people that had been paid by the council to make a claim that they didn't have to investigate. Yeah, this is getting more and more Stalinist, doesn't it? It really is. Mm. And the for- the informers could easily be somebody who hated you or someone who mm-hmm. you had never seen, met, or heard of and who had never met, seen, or heard of you. Right, okay. Paid informers. Yes. So now, you either paid a fine or bond, or you could be put in prison, and you could have everything you own taken, or Empson now created a third option. You could become an informer on a bigger fish. Right. Okay. The best part of this is that any evidence that you were innocent of these created charges would vanish. And it was found in one of three places at the end of the ring. Hang on, but so the charges against you would vanish if you if you agreed no, to. The evidence no. that you were innocent of those right. charges would vanish. I wasn't sure whether you'd mis misread that. Okay, so they said so they're still there even if you're not actually being Yeah. Being tried for them. Okay. So So this was hanging over you. Yes. And so you you could have evidence and pr- provide evidence saying I am innocent of these charges. And that would disappear to one of three places. The king's secret chamber, Dudley's counting house that we mentioned before, mm-hmm. or into the Duchy of Lancaster into Empson's hands. And it's curious that it would only be one of those three. So this could be reignited at any moment that they wanted to, presumably. They'll just take these things out and say... No, this is the opposite. This is, you now no longer have any evidence that you were innocent. So they're keeping it from everybody else, so you have no defense. And it wasn't... Oh, right. I was looking at it from the opposite end. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. And it wasn't found until King Henry died. And they actually stormed those three places. So that's yeah, beginning to seem like the Stasi. <laughs> yeah. If you remember, they had that um, reconciliation, or um, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, what when Henry was ill? Yeah. Mm. And this is when people would say, "I was innocent," and they got some money back, and then it was clawed back when Henry got better. So the evidence did exist; it was just hiding. That you were innocent. Okay, oh. so one would like to say that these three men worked together without the help of others or influence of others, but really it was a web. Three th- three men, including Henry, you mean? Yes, Henry, yeah. Empson, and Dudley. Yeah. When you get to the point where you're talking about where the evidence is or created and you're only talking about three people, you'd think that it would be an equal group partnership. I don't think it was. And this is where I was going to tell you about the mental state that you brought up earlier. (laughs) Empson and Dudley ensured they had equal influence in the king's household. They developed friendships with people who personally served the king, 
So Dudley became close to Henry's groom of the stool, and Empson became fast friends with Henry's groom of the wardrobe of war robes. So the two people closest to the king, and they did this throughout the household. Almost, they almost split up the royal household areas of influence neatly. They wouldn't be friends with the same people. They were friends with separate people encompassing as much of the household as possible. So their ideas and influence could be passed through these men to Henry in Henry's private chambers. Henry was never out of their influence, and it starts started feeling like he wasn't out of their control either. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. I wonder how much he felt that. Or whether it was it was so subtly done that he didn't spot it, but whether or, or whether he did feel that he was being I wish we had up. something in writing or some sort of fly on the wall to find that out. It really felt like you might be thinking this, but you've got somebody whispering in your ear to do it differently, and there's mm. no time that you're out of that influence. We we need to remember that Tudor monarchs never got a private moment ever. Yeah, never. I'm just thinking about that. Um, you know, when Edward Plantagenet was beheaded, and the Spanish ambassador said, "I've got sent a message to Isabella and." Ferdinand to say that Henry had aged 20 years. Well, was it just Edward or was it his whole life at this point? Because mm-hmm. he never got away from it. Mm. I mean, admittedly, he was also very ill, but... Um, yeah. But how influenced was he? Was he the influencer? It didn't feel like it after reading about these two. I almost feel like somebody who writes yeah. a biography on Henry needs to read about everybody else as well. Mm. Yeah, you feel that if he's got these people close at hand, sort of suffocating him, and then he's got Perkin Warbeck and all the others on the outskirts nibbling away, I feel, I feel quite sorry for him now. <laughs> I, didn't, mm-hmm. I, feel I did too by the end yeah. of this. Goodness. That's quite a different different slant on him, isn't it? Yeah, and I I didn't come across it until I started reading about these two and specifically wow. going to primary sources and thinking, wait a second, has anybody considered this? I didn't read it in any of the biographies on Henry. It's almost like this part is glossed over. Yeah, I suppose at the time people weren't particularly interested in people's mental state, were they? I mean, it's not something no. you talked about unless you're it's avert, like Henry VI. Um, yeah, if it, unless it stops you from ruling, but and Henry became more and more reclusive. So the only people who had influence were people within his household. And if Dudley and Empson control, or at least are really good friends with them, how much control did they manage to exert on the king himself? I think that the king slapping Empson with that five hundred pound fine for William Cornish might have been trying to assert some sort of independence, but he didn't lose his positions. No. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, suppose, I suppose, yeah, we're talking about um, whether Empson had something on Henry. Well, I suppose if everybody around Henry is saying, you need to keep Empson, he's really good, and he's doing this for you, and he's doing that for you, mm-hmm. then, you know, even if Henry did think, yeah, he's a thug. He's vicious, he's evil, mm, yeah. Then he's, he's got nobody saying that. 
He'd probably be no. thinking to himself, oh, maybe it's me. Because I was thinking, he, do, he doesn't come across as narcissistic like you, like Edward the Fourth or you know, his horrible son. Um, no, um, he doesn't. You can imagine Edward the Fourth and Henry the Eighth not being interested in what people say, particularly if it's all, yeah. to, all to do with them. But yeah, but Henry's but not remember, like that. Who was it? There's, I think it was David Starkey that said. Um, Henry VIII was easily changeable. It, the last person that spoke to him could influence how he thought. Mm. Which makes me wonder if his father was kind of the same way. Mm. I don't know. But it it really started giving me a different picture of Henry yeah. during this era. Because his mother's gone. Jasper's gone. Elizabeth's gone. Arthur's gone. Mind you, I'm thinking, I'm thinking now of when he was younger. He's got Jasper and um, here she comes. Margaret Beaufort. Um, <laughs> saying, <laughs> saying to him, you need to be king, you need to be king, you need to be king. He might be thinking, yeah. I need to be king. Yeah. Maybe he's always had, always been susceptible. Oh, blimey, we're delving right into his inner soul <laughs> today. Yes. But, um, yeah, he's an interesting case for treatment, which I seem to, think, to remember saying, saying that about Henry VIII. <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of this, it'll be interesting when we get to the end of this entire season, mm. if we were to do a quick little podcast on, or an episode on how we feel about Henry now. I thought so, yes. A bigger, the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. And how, yeah. How we okay, change. Okay, we will add that. Yep. <laughs> yep. In a year and a half. <laughs> well, it'd be more than that. I was, I noticed, because we started off, I think, with 31 people in this season. We're up to over 50 now. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to end. Seven years has turned into nine. <laughs> That's okay. We're having a good time. Yeah. This, Onward. This, this is a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this particular one isn't. I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, this is fair. This not. Is... I put this book back on the shelf. I know eventually we'll get the other three or four people that are in that book, but I'm very happy to put the book aside. That's saying nothing against the author. Stephen Gunn was a fantastic writer, and it was a very fascinating book. But when you're specifically delving into these two people, it's really depressing. Mm. So I'm glad to put that away, and I shredded the research articles. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun thing to do. Oh, I think one of these days my husband's going to come home and be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> This is fantastic. <laughs> well, I think we've. I think this, these two episodes have delved a lot more into Henry's reign. Parts of it that I didn't know about. No, but and I bet most people. When don't. you talk about Thomas More talking about how fantastic it was that they have a prince that's into honor and he doesn't worry about money. It was glossed over how bad it actually was. And this is just zooming in on the horrors of what it would have been like. Mm. You go from the War of the Roses, where everything is conflict and strife, to this, which feels more oppressive to me, because nobody is safe. Yeah, the War of the Roses was, was quite localized, wasn't it? I mean, you could yeah. go through your entire life without even knowing what was going on, yes. I should think. And it didn't That's seem a... to seep into your everyday life, whereas this is going after everybody and anybody. You'd never know if you were safe. 
And it makes it even worse to think that um, Henry VIII squandered all this money that yes. all these nice people had given him. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how you'd feel? I earned, I earned that. That was mine. And you yes. just... I was in prison for so many years. And you bought so yourself you a peacock. Just... <laughs> <laughs> or something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Please, can we do Buddhist? <laughs> <laughs> something, something gentle. <laughs> On with the episode. Okay. Yes. During the king's second and final illness, 1509, the power of the country becomes scarily evident. There are only four men making the decisions on the king's behalf without his input. You've got Empson, Dudley, John Hussey, who we've decided we'll get an episode, and Roger Lupton, who is not on our list yet. So where in all this is Edward Poynings, John Devere? They are busy are keeping people? the country from falling apart. Mm. But they don't seem to be being, you know, we keep hearing about them being the most important people in the country. They weren't the most important people in the country, were they? Well, they were in a way. So 1509, if I remember, Empson is doing diplomacy with the other countries. So Ooh, he's not available Empson. for him to be one of these four. Empson? Not Empson, sorry, Poynings. <laughs> Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> Poinings is outside we, doing we diplomacy. Oh my gosh, could you imagine Empson? Don't let him out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Empson was not a diplomat. Yeah, so Poinings was incredibly important for the country, but if he wasn't physically there, mm. he can't act. So you have Empson. Actually, John Tevere, there was he took himself away, actually, didn't he? Because I remember saying that... He was. It was thought that he was getting a bit crazy about all this. And initially, he did yes. help collect the bonds and recognizes recognizances. But yeah, that after a while, he just sort of kept away. So perhaps yeah. he, he was. Well, it looks he like you couldn't this fight too much. this. Yeah, so you might as well go home and keep your head down. Yeah. I would. But he wasn't affected by it, so perhaps he was powerful enough. Perhaps you know, Henry did say, leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Mm. God, it's wheels within wheels within wheels within wheels. Yes. Recurring. Yeah. Empson and Dudley were named executors of the king's will, along with ten others. All others were more prominent in status. These were the mm. two that were technically commoners. They were also tasked with ensuring a smooth dynastic succession. However, yeah, that's... neither Empson or Dudley were near the king when he died. They were in London. And I think this is the only reason they managed to be ousted. The death, if you remember, was not announced for three days. Dudley mm. and Empson didn't know. That they was... were not informed. That was you. Woman Margaret, wasn't it? Yes, that was <laughs> Margaret Beaufort. Yep. This was time enough for the rest of those ten men that were mentioned in the will, and for Margaret to take action and order things the way it needed to be. There may also have been a big part of them thinking this was the only way they could keep themselves safe. What what's Margaret doing in all this? Margaret stepped in and took over. No, I mean, 
She was close to her son. She was, but at the same time, if you remember after Elizabeth died, Margaret was suffering from severe arthritis and didn't travel very much. They wrote... Actually, she, yeah, she only ever came... She came back to see him when he was ill, didn't she? When she came, yeah. came back bringing... And that was it. That was the only time. Crate so loads it, of alcohol. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And she was quite elderly by this point as well, so... She was. She was older than her son. I mean... He is the mother. No, she wasn't that much older than her son. <laughs> Thirteen. Yes. Thirteen years, yeah, I know. <laughs> so you've got eight men and Margaret. Separated from Emson and Dudley, because the Emson and Dudley are not there. And you would think that they might be going it might be going through their head that if Dudley and Emson retained their power over a weak young king who had already showed that he had no desire to do any of the work because yep. he did have a council for the duke of york as the duke of york lord knows what kind of state would have developed because they wouldn't have a king checking them anymore this sounds very shakespearean now doesn't it with a group of them getting together and keeping yeah, the other ones whispering out. Yes. Quarters. yes and i wondered at their absence i wondered why if they were so important to henry they weren't with him but Henry was not in London. He had left because he was ill. He didn't want to be there. So they were running the country, and you can only do that in London. London was the mainstay of the country. Wherever London led, that's where the rest of the country would go. So those four men that were running the country had no choice but to remain in London. The other executors of the will were all part of the Order of the Garter. Right. Devere was one of them, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. he was. So, what better way than having Henry VIII, who really wants to be a hero, mm -hmm. loves martial arts, and is really into the Arthurian legend, how hard would it have been for those men to say, you know what, your council should only be the men of the garter, so we could be your knights of the round table. Ah, yes. And be able to exclude the two hated upstarts that never managed to get to be part of the order of the garter. Mm. I can't imagine that was a hard sell. No, I wouldn't have thought so for one minute. Yeah, he'd love that. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, where we start questioning the reality of their arrest. Like, we've already said they're horrible people. But they were never accused of what they were actually doing. Yeah, it's a bit like, a bit like Al Capone, isn't it? Accused of tax evasion. Yeah, yeah taxes. <laughs> they were accused of gathering armed men during the succession to take control of the king. Empson supposedly demanding men to come up to be ready to be to defend dudley apparently also sent or off orders for mustering of troops do we jump in and say ha yes they were conspiring or do we look at previous successions and see that the mustering of troops that everybody gathered for defense of the realm during the succession was normal if you think about it richard iii was meeting with a group of armed men to meet his nephews, who also had a group of armed men. Mm. That was just the nature of succession. That's the dodgy time. Yes. So, but the Berts, they presumably knew that it was 
it was going to happen, even though they didn't actually yes. know that he died, but he was ill enough for them to presumably have assumed that he was in the orphan. Yes. Mm. We can also look at later generations that also continued to gather armed followers during a succession. We can think of the number of armed retainers that were gathered for Queen Elizabeth's entry to London, and her succession was not disputed. Mary had acknowledged that she was the rightful queen, or was going to be the rightful mm. queen. And she didn't gather those armed followers. Her retainers gathered those armed followers. So it was a natural and reasonable thing to do. And others were also doing it. It wasn't just Empson and Dudley that were pulling in all these people in arms and making sure the succession was going to go smoothly. Everybody was. So why were they picked out? The second question I ended up with were, were Dudley and Empson so blind that they couldn't see how much they were loathed? Did they assume that the gifts from the people and the bribes they were receiving were an indication of friendship or fondness? Because really, it was a defense against two sharks? Well, maybe they felt they were too big to fall. Yeah, that's very possible. Mm. Though it didn't matter whether people liked them or not, as long as they feared them. It's like um, Caligula yeah. said, I don't need to be liked, I just need to be feared. That yeah. um, might have been their approach. Which is a sad way to live. It really is. <sighs> I don't envy them. I would want that. No. But I've also found that people who are truly unpleasant are often deluded and think they are a gift to the world, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of someone so, in particular here, which I don't oh. need to go into. <laughs> but yes. And they can be very charming. Yes. Yeah. But vicious. Yeah, and the charm is switched off like a tap when the viciousness yeah. kicks in. Yeah. And you wonder, either way, if they felt that they were unassailable because they were so powerful or that everybody loved them, either way, they were horrifically wrong. Yes. This was not a good perception. Henry VII's rule for the last five years had been hated and feared, and those five years started when Empson and Dudley arrive. There needed to be a clean slate for the new king to show that he was new and different, and this is what Margaret and the other eight gentlemen were trying to create. They needed to raise hopes and the love of the people to a new king. And, and for it, this... We have heard about how much... People were thrilled to get him. And you think, oh, yeah. I mean, they can't know him that well. He's, very, he's quite young. Why were they quite so thrilled to get this new young boy? Was Henry really that bad? Let's go back. No, it's probably not Henry at all, is it? Or it's... It might not have been. Mm. Mm. Gosh, a lot of things are falling into place in this. this... Yeah. Mm. It really did try doing the research. It was like, oh. Yeah, that explains... An awful lot. Yeah. A lot. Ooh. And for this to be a smooth transition and for people to release how angry they were, somebody needed to be blamed. Hmm. You can't blame his father because that no. would keep the stain on the family line and would transfer some of it to him. Well, is he going to be like his father then? So you need to pick people that are inextricably linked 
to what's been happening, but they are not tied to the king or to any prominent noble families. Or they're, and they're not noble themselves. And they're not noble themselves. Mm-hmm. They were not the only ones arrested. There were others, but they were the focus of the entire country's wrath and they were deliberately made that focus. If they weren't already hated, they are the reason all this has happened. And this is where you get one of William Cornish's writings, The Ballad of Empson. Ah, yes. Now, we mentioned this right at the first episode, the background of the yes. episode. Yep. I wish we had it. It didn't survive for us to read it now, but it ripped his reputation to shreds if he had anything left in the first place. He had a reason to, to fight back, didn't he? I mean, he had been beaten up and shoved in a prison. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Goodness. We don't know if there was one written about Dudley, but the Empson one survived long enough for us to get a few snippets out of it. And we do say it's most likely written by William Cornish. Without having it, we can't say who wrote it, but it is, the indications are that William Cornish was the one who wrote it. But a few of the lines were that Empson was a Bond churl born. Mm-hmm. So churl as in a peasant, alluding to his common birth, but also mentioning his gains by extortion and bribey presence. And those are his words, not mine. He wasn't Spanish on top of it all, was he? No. (laughs) Well, that's all right then. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. He's not a foreigner. But the fact that they say extortion in that poem from mm. that time, it was so much extortion. (laughs) Yeah. The trial. And and that's from somebody speaking firsthand. Firsthand, yeah. If it was William Cornish. Yeah. Hmm. And the fact that he had the king step in to protect him really shows that it was not an okay action that Empson did. Mm. The trial of these two, if we could call it that, omitted any real investigation. We didn't mention this in the last one. Any investigation would inevitably highlight the king. Yeah. Yeah. It would bring him in and loop it around to be eventually pinned on Henry VIII saying, your father did this. So we can't investigate this. What this trial needed to do was to ensure that all the offenses would only be attributed to those two men already in the tower and prevent any investigation that would draw in any others. So it felt like this was really orchestrated. So it's being whooshed through as quickly as possible, presumably. Yes, and on facts that had absolutely nothing to do with what people were really angry with. That way they didn't have to investigate that. Mm. It was only on the fact that they had these armed men. Empson was indicted within a week or two of the creation of the jury that was commissioned to investigate and try this case. But again, instead of discussing any of the financial dealings Edmund or Dudley were performed, they focused on treason that was rumored. They did look at the dispatches Empson sent out to the Duchy of Lancaster requesting men, but instead of recognizing it as the security measure it most likely was, they determined that Empson and Dudley were attempting a coup. Both men pleaded not guilty. Do we know that they're definitely not guilty of that? No, we don't. (laughs) Because the records that came through were Henry VIII's records. Yeah. But the fact that a lot of 
other dispatches from other courts said that they were just basically fallmen. Makes you think something else was missed. Since the... I don't know. We keep thinking that what the ambassadors send to other monarchs, because it's their own ambassadors, they're getting the truth. But I wonder if they are. No, I've... I've... I've stopped believing anything, I think. So I yeah. assumed when I when I started doing Perky Moorbeck, I sort of blithely assumed that his confession was the true bit and the rest of it was the stuff he'd made up. Yeah. His confession wasn't true either, so it's so oh, difficult. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> well, there's plenty else to talk about with Perky Moorbeck, but I don't trust any anybody to tell the truth. No. You can't latch onto anything. No. You can't think, right, that's fine. We'll stay with that and work out everything around that because everything's moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was mention at one point of them being spared or pardoned. So that was when Dudley decided he wasn't going to escape prison. But you have to think that you must have known at this point what was going to happen. Yeah, also, wouldn't you be a bit wary escaping prison, knowing that it could be set <laughs> it could up? be fine. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, the only, they certainly knew how this, this thing worked, so... Mm-hmm. Maybe they thought that they would just have to pay a fine, mm-hmm. so they didn't leave. Yeah. They were both found guilty and sentenced to the traitor's death, and I found it. They were sentenced to a traitor's death of hanging, drawing, and quartering. Mm. Remember in Dudley's episode, we wonder why he was beheaded instead? You don't actually get the record of what the trial sentenced them to until you get to Empson. Right. So they actually were sentenced to a traitor's death of hanging, drawing, and quartering, but they were spared it on the order of Henry VIII. He showed clemency. And I thought at first that well, was Henry so young that he was not okay with sentencing them to that? Was he a gentle soul at this point? But then I thought, no, <laughs> not with Henry VIII. Where I got that from, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was more of a way of reducing the focus on those two so the country could move on. Because yeah. the hanging, drawing, and quartering would have been something that would have been talked about for a very long time. Whereas if it was just a beheading. And quite often it was. I don't want to say reduced to beheading, to, to beheading yes. but it's quite often a but not that many people got, did actually get the whole full, the full monty, did mm-hmm. they? Yeah, thankfully. Mm. God, it's horrific. Emson was therefore beheaded on the 17th or 18th of August 1510. There's a bit of discrepancy. He left his wife, Jane, so far as I know, since her death wasn't recorded during his lifetime. And she just sort of disappears. We can assume that she was still alive. Hmm. Probably keeps her head down, I should think. And you don't want to be uh, yeah. associated. I, I don't know this person. <laughs> <laughs> he was attainted, so the vast wealth that he had <laughs> absconded with <laughs> was taken by the crown. And I did find it really interesting to discover that Empson's London Manor, it was called La Parsonage, was given to a young retainer named Thomas Wolseley. Yeah, I think I recognize the name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. But that's the end of Empson. Good. So shall we rate him? <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll give it a go. <sighs> he was a horrible, horrible person. Mm. And fibbly. 
Amphiboly. This is our intrigue round. How devious were they? Emson's form of intrigue leans more towards outright violence. <laughs> yes. If he's creeping around the court making friends with people, and not not just any people, but allocating people out to, okay, I'll be friends with him, you be friends with her. That's mm-hmm. that's intrigue, isn't it? Very. Yeah. Splitting it down the middle so you always have... And it, it really looked like they did. They must have sat down, pulled out names, and then desi- divided them up equally, oh. is how it, it seemed. And the way that's been intriguing around the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, did they end up with more control of the king than the king had of them? I, I'm beginning to feel like that. I mean, well, mm-hmm. that might be, I'm certain it will be something we'll never know for certain, but yeah. And... I do find it interesting. Uh, one thing that I hadn't mentioned before was after Emson was arrested, the abbot of St. James Abbey, well, he said that the religious houses were actually paying fees to Emson personally as protection. Oh, right. It was a protection racket. Well, that was the only thing that wasn't missing so far, isn't it, from the, uh, yeah. from the mafiosi? The implication was that it was not being given to the crown. And what 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 was going to happen to these churches? If, um... Well, if you remember, Emson was going after them for lands not being claimed. Right, so it's not that they were going to come and smash the windows and steal the lead off the roof or anything. It's possibly it's... they were. <laughs> <laughs> this is Emson. He also framed the abbot of Abingdon for treason held him in prison, and then had one of his henchmen in the prison suggest that he give Emson personally a bribe to be allowed to go free. Is that um, oh, the Abbot of Ab- Abingdon? Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Sante. Not Sante no. at this point. This is later. Sante would have been gone, gone for quite a while. God, Abingdon. Abingdon seems to be a very uh, busy, busy place, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can't see him having any scruples. He wasn't just intriguing for the king, at the king, but also kind of against the king by taking money that should have gone to the crown. Hmm. I'm quite happy to give him a 10 for intrigue. I was too, but then I was worried you were going to tell me I was inflating it. <laughs> no, I, no. <laughs> no, if we could go, if we could... If we could do a spinal tap and go to 11, I'd do that. But no, 10 will do, I suppose. 10. Okay, that's a full-on 20, a perfect score. Oh, well done. Well done, Empson. <laughs> <laughs> For being the bleep that you are. <laughs> Antiperistasis. Antiperistasis. This is Rise and Fall. Did they climb or plummet? You could say he did better than Dudley. Yeah. He rose farther than Dudley. He came from no title, no relations that could help his rise. And when we, well, when I looked at it, he had to go position by position up that ladder. And he really clawed his way up, didn't he? I mean, yes, he did. Probably at the expense of other people. You yeah. can see all the scars on their back. From the clawing. Well, when I said claw, you are, I could imagine, yeah, actual talons. <laughs> a little gremlin. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah. And he really did put other people down to get himself mm. higher. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the top people we were thinking, not 
him personally, but the type of thing that we were thinking about more, the sort of Cromwell starting from that on, mm-hmm. and starting from nothing and working our way up. Yeah. And um, he rose, yeah, the most important person, one of the most important people in the country. And one of the most loathed, which is yes. quite an accolade as well, I suppose. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, I think this is a big score because... You could almost say he outranked the king when the king was ill. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's gone, he's gone from pauper to king, <laughs> effectively. Yes. I mean, he did spectacularly lose it all, but the reason he lost it all was because he rose to such a point. Mm. And that's fine. It's rise and fall. So if you do both, that's... That's fine, I think. Right, I'm thinking of giving him a, at least a nine. In fact, I don't see why he shouldn't get a ten, because he's he was nothing. I was more and, thinking of a ten, because yeah. he, he fell spectacularly, but he fell spectacular because he rose too high. And falling is all part of it. Rising yes, it and is. falling. Ten. Yeah, I'm going with a ten as well. I think he did way better than Dudley. Yeah, I mean, it's not Dudley's fault he started higher up, but... Um... True. <laughs> Very true. Martyrdom. Martyrdom. How far were they willing to go? Okay, martyrdom. Oh. This is where (laughs) we're going to just (laughs) fall on our faces. Nothing. He was the one that wrote a confession about what he did and tried to pin it on the king. What did he say? He just kept saying that he was doing what he was told. Oh, right. I was only doing, I was just following orders. I was just following orders. He did not stand by a single moral code that he possibly could have had. And when accused, he crumpled. Zero. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing else you can give him, is there? Absolutely nothing. I found nothing. Oh, he really is a... Yeah, I'm I'm sort of seeing him living in a cave. A sort of shriveled, shriveled precious... Gollum, he's mine, precious. He's all mine. Yeah. B-team. B-team. This is our posterity round. What did they leave behind that still resonates today? Right, nobody's heard of him. Nobody's heard of him, nobody knows of anything, he didn't leave anything. He got a ballad. He got a ballad, but we don't have that ballad. We have two sort of mentions of portions of the ballad. From the London Chronicler. I'm going to give him one for the ballad, because if it was by William Cornish, it's a ballad by somebody who's still, if you're interested in Renaissance music, he's he's still around today. True. He wrote them. Yeah. So I'm going to give him one for the ballad. And at least we have something in the book from Stephen Gunn, and a couple of other authors have written about him just because of how hated he was. So, yeah, I'll go Mm. with one. I mean, it should be more. The fact that he was so hated, he should be... We should be celebrating, instead of gunpowder plot, we should be celebrating the day the day that Dudley and really should. I don't want to celebrate people having their head cut off, come to think of it. <laughs> but there should be some celebration. Yeah, but at the same time, oh. you almost need a D-Day for yeah. them gone. Yeah, well, maybe a... Flaunt of bleeding flaunt. Flaunt a flaunt. This is our portraiture round. There is a picture. If you remember, yep. he was part of the... Like in the Dudley episode, he was painted yeah. with the king, and he's the one on the left. He looks quite thuggish, doesn't he? Yeah, he really, really, really does. Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's the nose, isn't it? <laughs> and the sort of chin. Yeah. It's also the expression on the face. Dudley looks almost afraid. 
of Emson. I wonder if he was. Because he's facing Emson, and that's the... We had mentioned before they looked like a child. We should describe... It is bizarre, actually, because, you know, Dudley and Emson are doing a sort of stare out to each other, completely ignoring the fact that the king's standing there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the king looks quite emaciated, and he's a strange grey colour, isn't he? Yes, he is, actually. He's quite a bit paler than the other two. Mm. Uh, That may just be erosion of time. It might be, yeah. But that is quite a... It's a squaring up face, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If I were Dudley, I would be frightened of that face. Imagine that coming at you to tell you you owe him money. Yeah. No, I could So Emson is wearing all black, like a judge, or, I don't know, death. He's got his chains of office. Uh, He's got a regular Tudor cut. He's got a very Roman nose. Mm. But he does look like... If somebody was staring at me like that, I think I'd be intimidated. And Dudley looks intimidated. Yes, he does. I think think that's a really good picture because he he looks exactly as you would expect him to look. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. Eight. I'll Mm. go with an eight, too. There is... I wanted to show you this as well. We can't claim this one because it wasn't made until... Uh, let's do this so it's bigger. This is a portrait that I found that was done in the 1800s. It's, um, oh, what do you call it? An etching hmm. that was printed. But that's Empson and Dudley with Henry VII. So it doesn't look like them, but... I wanted to show that there was more than one portrait. Henry VII looks a bit like Fagin, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He looks like he's going to die. Yeah, and the two artful dodgers either side of him. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm. That that was done later, several centuries later, but I thought it was interesting yeah. that it was put into a story about Emson and Dudley that they decided to create a new artistic piece. Hmm. Hmm. Which is interesting, because they've made them both bearded, and they weren't bearded in the original. And quite old portrait. as well, by the way. Because they were, presumably, well, Dudley, presumably, was quite young when he died. Yeah. Are you sticking with your eight? I'm sticking with eight. I will go with an eight as well. Well, yeah. no, what's funny is we gave... Oh, yeah, but we argued that he looked scared rather than yes. somebody who was... No, I think I think Empson... No, Dudley, I wouldn't have thought looked like that. I mean, he, do, he does look about eight, doesn't he, in that picture? But yes. Empson looks exactly as you would expect a nasty thug to look. I mean, that even looks as if it might be broken in the past, that nose, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's a four for flaunt a flaunt. Yeah. Four each. Forty-six. Fifty, I make it. Well, he's done pretty well, I think, doesn't he? I seem to remember Jasper got fifty-two or something, did not he? So, got to... so he's... Empson is right up there. He is below Jasper by two. He's above John Cabot by one. Hmm. But the big question. Are they too delicious or what? Is he too delicious? Well, you didn't give it to Dudley. No. We're adamant about not giving it to Dudley. I, yeah. I don't, it's, yeah, it doesn't seem logical to give it to him and not give it to Dudley. But I do feel, well, perhaps they could, he's no different from Dudley. In fact, he's probably worse. Yes. <laughs> but he's certainly interesting. Mm-hmm. And they both are. No, we completely, I seem to remember we both said no, 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 no for Dudley. So 
I feel the same way from Empson because honestly, if we didn't pull him, I don't think I'd ever tell anybody. About <laughs> <him>. <laughs> I mean, and yet, so between, horrible. between them, they did kick up quite a lot of interesting insights into Henry the Seventh's life and his court and everything. But no, I mean, if we haven't given it to Dudley, we can't give it to Empson. But no, I agree. That's a no, and I am so glad I get to put in a booing noise. <laughs> <laughs> crank it up, crank it up really loud. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We had given it to him. <laughs> Mind you, it's very lacklustre cheering that we've got, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's representative of maybe the number of people they'd see <laughs> in a day. <laughs> okay, please pull my next person so I can stop thinking about this person forever. Okay, right. Open the box, open the box, rummage. Right, your next one will be... Oh, good one. Oh, Isabella of Castile. Oh, Ooh. hey. <laughs> Somebody who's actually going to be pleasant, possibly. I think, yeah. And what I've come across her, she seems okay. Okay, and I'm going to focus specifically on her interactions with England. Of which there was quite a lot. Yes. Ooh, you're going to have an issue with that, though, because her and Margaret Beaufort were kind of pen pals when <laughs> the whole negotiation was happening, so she's going to be mentioned quite a bit. That's going to be an awful lot of... <sighs> yeah, but what I would like to do is on a Patreon episode later is probably do her entire life, because that woman is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, she popped up... All- all the time, and, and completely separate to Ferdinand. Ferdinand seemed to have yeah. his own agenda, and she had hers. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm excited about that one. Yeah, that's okay. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That is the end of our episode on Sir Richard Empson. We hope you've sort of enjoyed it. <laughs> and will join us for our next special episode about Christmas. So a little bit more cheering. Thank you for listening. You can find details of the podcast and contact us on... time come lead me to the block bear him my head they smile at me but shortly shall be dead blood thou art bloody will be thy end shame serves thy life and both thy death will attend (laughs) bye (laughs) goodbye
Mr. Fist. Job. Mm-hmm. 